This episode of Dopey is brought to you by our friends at Oro Recovery. Located in sunny Southern California, in Malibu, and Silver Lake, somewhere in Western Los Angeles, Oro was created by our good friend Bob Forrest and his good friends, Evan, Jared, and Bob, to create a place that treats alcoholism and addiction with compassion and connection rather than control. They have many, many decades of experience in treating co-occurring mental health disorders, including severe mental illness. They make sure your stay is a productive stay. They are not a 12-step-based program at Oro. They also have amenities you wouldn't believe. The sound bath meditation, surfing, equine therapy, and of course the potentially spiritually transformative sweat lodge. If you're fucked and you're willing to go to sunny Southern California, I highly suggest going to Oro. This episode of Dopey is brought to you by our friends at Brainwashed Coffee. I love Brainwashed Coffee for a lot of reasons. Number one, the coffee's really good. I don't say that without actually meaning it. Their coffee is delicious. They are from Porchester, New York, a town I lived in and loved. So I love Brainwash Coffee. They also, almost more importantly, they donate 50% of their profits. Their mission is to give back to the amazing sober recovery community. Their why is bold and their coffee is fresh. So if you want to sip an amazing brew that warms your mind, body, and soul, then visit BrainwashedCoffeeCo.com and use code DOPEY20 at the checkout for 20 bucks off. They're also, they have a new super cool travel mug, 12 ounces, made by Mir, and they make a, a very high-quality mug. Perfect for hot and cold coffee. Lining won't affect the flavor of your favorite brainwashed brew. Leak-free, insulated, BPA-free, and it's pink with a black logo. And the Dopey 20 code is still active again for 20% off coffee, and they added a special code for our listeners, Recovery Mug Valid all recovery month, which is just the rest of this week. So extra five bucks off the mug. Codes can be combined for tremendous savings. Again, brainwashcoffeeco.com. Really good coffee. And finally, this episode of Dopey is brought to you by listeners like you through the power and magic of Dopey Patreon. You wouldn't believe the shit we have cooking and Dopey Patreon. There's new stuff coming. New video coming out. This week, old shit is about to come back. A lost episode. But don't get crazy. It's not a Chris lost episode. But it is a good lost episode. So look at Patreon. There's so much good stuff. And most importantly, it helps us keep the show going. If you want to be a real member of the Dopey Nation, it would be great if you could support Patreon. www.patreon.com slash Dopey Podcast. 
Also, in our store at dopeypodcast.com, we have amazing gear, all made by SRO Prince, a bunch of addicts in Cincinnati. We have a new Grateful Dead-inspired t-shirt, hoodie, women's tank, and long sleeve, not to mention some other amazing dopey gear. There's new shit coming out in October represent dopey wear the gear and i bought way too many trucker hats so if any of you were considering buying a trucker hat please buy a trucker hat for me venmo me 25 bucks for the hat if you want stickers throw in an extra five venmo me at dopey podcast or if you want the classic dopey venmo me if you want the fucking classic Oyve snapback, which I believe is going to be the next big thing, Venmo me at dopeypodcast.com. If you buy any dopey stuff, please take pictures of yourself in it because it makes us look cool because you guys are so fucking cool. Enough with the ads. Here's the show. Welcome to Dopey, the podcast on drugs, addiction, and dumb shit. And my name is Dave. I'm at my dad's house. It's a very exciting show this week. And it's been a tough week for me. On Friday, I got into this, uh, I got into like a little fucking horrible altercation at work. And it like messed me up. And later that night, like I got into a fight. And later that night, I went out to see the Black Crow's with Linda and they were actually great. Like Chris Robinson, man, he is such a good front man. I cannot even, I can't even tell you like, he's just incredible. He's an incredible singer, incredible presence. He even danced out there with like a little umbrella. He was, he was amazing. Like, I think he's one of the last of his kind of skill level. So, but they started playing. She talks to angels and all I could think about was this problem at work, which was, very annoying. And I was pretty annoying with Linda and she had to deal with it. And I was very upset and pissed off and, and fearful because it was such a stressful situation. I don't want to get into the details, but I was feeling really shitty in the morning. I called my sponsor and I went through the whole thing and he showed me like, obviously this whole thing couldn't have been my fault, but I did make a mistake. And he was like, you got to call this guy and you got to make an amend and you got to keep it moving, you know? So I did. I felt really bad, and I didn't want to call this guy, and I didn't want to make an amend, but I did it, and I felt much better, and my weekend got better. But the truth is, I'm still very fearful about this situation at work. I don't know what's going to happen. I do know that I did what was necessary to feel more at peace with it, and I feel more at peace with it now. And that's just like, that's the lesson, you know? You do... I can spin out on fucking negativity so far and it gets out of control. But if I approach the person and I recognize my part in the thing, I can make it better. And I did. And I have a special treat for all you dopes in the dopey nation right now. Hold on for one second. Dad, my dad is coming on the show for the first time in a long time. I think if he hears me. He's so slow. Jesus Christ. I don't remember the last time my dad was on the show. He did a, he did a mini run on Patreon where he read some, some low-end reviews. Dad, when's the last time? I know my dad knows. When was the last time you were actually on the Dopey program? 
Uh, I was. You mean not Patreon? Well, the Patreon was visits to the lake house, which uh, was fun, and the Patreon was a few reading other bad reviews. Oh, the, yeah, that was terrible. I thought that was great. That was if you haven't seen my father read all the one star reviews, you should join Patreon because you were masterful, Dad. I wasn't masterful. I was upset. I, it was. It was. I was not happy. And I think the last time he was on Patreon, he finally admitted that he is a wealthy man of privilege. As long as we put it in perspective that uh, I'm not a billionaire and that I came about having a little bit of money because of hard work. All right, just relax. Yes. Listen, I, I wanted, uh, for, for a little change of pace, I wanted to, uh, no, you're sick. He's sick. He gets on the fucking getting, thing getting, and he starts opening his phone. It was open. I'm just closing. It's it. away now. <laughs> My, it's amazing, Dad. Let me ask you this. Obviously, children are very screen dependent, and you are obviously not a child. Have you noticed this dependency that you have to screens? I do not have any dependency on screens. Maybe, maybe on on coffee flavored egg cream. Oh, just slow it. Just don't ruin this bit. <laughs> Listen, honestly, I know that I find myself when I'm bored. I look at uh, my phone, and I and I do it out of habit. And I just, I'm realizing that you're developing some bad habits. Do you recognize this? No. <laughs> you don't recognize this? No, I do not. Now, Absolutely no, not. Now, normally I don't make a big deal at anything good that my dad does, but I just want to bring this, oh, before we get into it, do you have anything you want to say to the Dopey Nation? Like, what's, what's your opinion about the show? What's happening? All the gloves are off. Say anything you want. Well, I, I, think, I think it's absolutely terrific, and I think David really wants to make Dopey full-time, and uh, I don't know. We'll see what happens. He's having a big conversation, maybe, with the uh, Listen, don't go nuts. Just, just don't go nuts. Let's, <laughs> no. come I'm talking about your criticism of the show. Everybody loves to hear your criticism. Wow, I think you've had some really good guests. Um, I, I think it's been very hard for me to listen to some of the stuff. Because recently? What has been hard to listen to recently? Some of the stories. You like know. what? Recently. I don't think you're listening to the show anymore. I am listening. I heard, I heard, you can't yeah, test me, go ahead. Who was me. last week? Uh, some uh, woman, Carl, or somebody, her name was... Aaron Carl. Oh, there's a lot of drugs in that one. Oh, yeah. And she the, had a tough... Tough time, God. You know, she, she's a converted Jew. Did you know that? She really? She's a converted Jew. What? I meant to ask her about Did that. Did she marry somebody? She married a Jewish guy. Oh, I see. Okay. And so you have no criticism? No, not of her. I mean, I could say something about Richie Ramon, but I won't. My dad listened to one of the $10 Patreon interviews with the third drummer or fourth drummer from the Ramon, Richie Ramon, and your review... I, 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 well, listen, I, I'm sure he's a terrific person, et cetera, but he's, he's not a good guest. He was not a good guest. My, in my dad, opinion. my dad thought like Aurora, he said, like, you know, too many times. About a million in the same sentence. Maybe you don't like the, like, you know, not, not if it stops the flow of trying to communicate with somebody and trying and the person who's listening doesn't get really upset by hearing like, you know, you know, you know, like, you like. used to give me a lot of, exactly. A lot and of you have surus, improved. a lot yes. of surus about saying, um, and you know, uh, and the other, what was the other term you always use? Um, I, which of course I forgot already. Not good. I know. Is Oh, by the way, I have a new word. What is it? Um, oldage. What is that? O-L-D-A-G-E. I suffer mean? from oldage. 
Oh, instead of old age, you're oldage? I, you suffer from oldage. I made it into... This is a new thing? A new you thing. You made this I up. I made this up. My dad is innovating all <laughs> over the place. I was in the house. I was in. I was teaching today, and, and I said, let me turn out the lights, and the lights were already out. <laughs> so I said, oops, oldage. Did you say oldage on purpose, or were you trying to say old age? No, oldage. So I, when I, have you been work shedding this oldage idea? I, I came up with it a few a few weeks ago. Well, tell me when it happened. When I made a stupid mistake and I said, boy, that's old age. And then I said, and then I put it together like Peloponnese, Polo Ponies, like oldage. Peloponnese, where did that come from? That's an old uh, Abbott and Costello routine. Or page nine is Paganini. If you read, if you look at page nine, is that an Abbott and Costello too? Yeah. Then that's this oldage. Well, oldage I invented. It's a rip. Well, of, maybe it's I a, stole it's it an from Abbott, somebody. It's an yeah. Abbott and Costello rip. Is what yeah, exactly. So the other day, I'm here working, working away, toiling away, and uh, and I go into the office, you know, and my dad's in there with this big smile on his face, sipping this strange-looking <laughs> beverage, and I say, Dad, what is that? And he said. This is my new thing. And, Dad, do you want to tell them what it is? Yeah, I, I took some uh, coffee and added some sugar substitute, heated it up, and then I added chocolate syrup, and then I added milk, and then I added seltzer, and I made a coffee egg cream. Well, I guess you could call it mocha now. A mocha egg cream. Mm -hmm. Amazing. Hold on, hold on. Is that, is that That's the applause. Yeah, you should be wearing the headphones, no, but fuck right. it. I have to leave soon anyway. So and, anyway, so, and I was going to make one today, but I only had pineapple seltzer, which made it terrible. I want to ask you about that, Dad. When you're in the store, and I saw it was Trader Joe's, so that's an expensive premium brand of, of seltzer. Absolutely. When you're in the store, and you're in the seltzer section, and you see pineapple seltzer, orange seltzer, whatever, you buy these, are they on sale? No, it's it's experimenting. I I don't like it though. No, <laughs> I, I went I went to the supermarket on my way home, thinking of all this horrible seltzer you have. So I bought four bottles, dollar seltzer at the supermarket. Drink one, go out of my merry way, come back, and I find all that's left is the pineapple seltzer and the orange. You, why you bought four? I only had one bottle. Maybe I drank the other. Three. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But let's stop with these horrible fruit I'm flavored not, seltzers. I'm not buying them anymore. Yeah, they're terrible. Now, Dad, what interferes with your happiness? Um, dealing with my children. Okay. <laughs> well, this podcast, the Dopey Podcast, is sponsored by BetterHelp Online Therapy. And you can check out betterhelp.com slash dopeypodcast. As you know very well, Dad, life is full of lots of stressors. It doesn't matter who you are or what you have. Your life is probably stressful. Uh, that's, that's for sure. You know, you can save money on this thing. BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist. So you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy, and you can start communicating with your therapist in under 48 hours. Yeah, I think it's important to talk to people, yes. Very I was your important. therapist today. <laughs> Absolutely. It was amazing. <laughs> Unload the... He, he didn't do any good, but... You no, should he, use he the dopey good. code, and you can save 20%. <laughs> yeah, call up David and get therapy. All right, just, just <laughs> calm down here. Unload the stressors and get some unbiased feedback. You'd be pretty surprised at what you might gain from it. Unbiased feedback, Dad. Yeah. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. And dopey listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash dopeypodcast. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P dot com 
slash dopey podcast. I'm considering going back to therapy personally. Yeah, that's a good idea. Just to deal with you. (laughs) Now, have you ever heard of a musical group called the Backstreet Boys? Yes. You have? Yeah. How do you know them? You mentioned it the other day. What did I say? (laughs) You said you're going to interview one of them. Well, that's today. Oh, wow. The guy's name is A.J. McLean. Uh-huh. He is a, he's won a million awards, and he's one of the Backstreet Boys. Right. I heard uh, when we were with the family, it's like uh, Jeremy and Julia, they love this guy, and they wanted to be here in person, but you said he was on the phone. He wasn't here, right? He wasn't here. He was on the phone, but here he is. Do you want to say anything to the Dopey Nation before we go to A.J. McLean? Uh, no, I, well, of course, you you know, I want you to all to be stay healthy and uh, and be positive and uh, and have a wonderful life and keep listening to Dopey. And here is AJ McLean. Thank you, Dad. And dude, this guest today, it's like pretty next, 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 next level guest. His name is AJ McLean. I, I call you AJ McLean because like you're clean and sober. I yes, I am. Yes. What's up, man? Dude, fucking you've won every award in the universe. You you obviously were one of the backstreet boys who's toured the earth. You know, you're like giants roaming the earth. The the the, the <laughs> level of your stardom on our stupid show is uh is great. So thank you for coming on the show. My pleasure, my man. Uh, you know, I know it's been a long time coming. You and I have been communicating for quite some time and schedules just didn't seem to align, but here we are today. And we're finally making this happen, and I am I am honored to be on the show. So thanks right for on. having me. No, it's my pleasure. And full disclosure, AJ, tell them how fucking annoying I am. Just tell them. Tell the Dopey Nation. Let them know. Uh, you're not annoying, but you are persistent. I will give you that. Tenacious. Uh, you are definitely persistent. Yes, definitely tenacious, persistent, um, but definitely not 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 bothersome and not annoying. Um, trust me when I tell you that. I do have annoying people in my life that 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 put you to shame uh literally that are that's annoying to the point where i've i've literally had to finally just come out and be rigorously honest with a few of them and be like hey you gotta stop with the group texts i i fucking hate group texts it's the most annoying thing apple has ever done is is uh is is give us the technology for a group text um, I feel you know. exactly the same way, but I imagine your group text is you fucking Justin Timberlake, Christina Aguilera, <laughs> Britney Spears. You're like, guys, just knock it off. I'm busy. I'm golfing. Leave me alone. Yeah, definitely not them, but even talking <laughs> to my own bandmates, you right. know, sometimes, sometimes we have a group text amongst each other, uh, because usually the email chains that we have, really get stressful and they get kind of kind of annoying as well so we've we've started a a backstreet boys group text with our with our team and even those things get lost in translation we're like midway through the group text we end up saying let's just get on a call or get on a zoom because we're basically all saying the same thing but we can't make up one decision so let's just get on a call and we'll make that final call so I hear but you. Yeah. I hate I hate group text because nobody laughs at my jokes in the group text. Like I'll make a joke well, and yeah. it's like bullshit. They'll just keep going. And I'm like, didn't you hear my joke 20 texts ago? And then I'm like, I'm upset. I mute the text. I blow it up. I like I have problems. Yeah, you definitely need to know your audience when you're in a group chat and you <laughs> drop a, and, and you drop a bomb and you're hoping that at least one person 
reacts. And when nobody does, that's when you kind of sit in the corner, biting your nails like, oh, shit, what did I do? Who did I piss off? That whole codependency thing just kicks in into overdrive. You're like, oh, man, I just lost some friends. You know? Totally. So. I'm also in a, in a weird 12 step group text where they send me the daily reflections every day. And I was going to ask to be taken out of it, but I felt like too much of a dick. So I just muted it. Do, did it is there a 12 step group text that you you've gotten in or no? Um, we had, so back when the pandemic started, uh, and we, and we all went into lockdown, um, some friends of mine and I started, um, a group chat called CTW, which stands for circle the wagons, um, which then turned into a zoom meeting. And that meeting has stayed constant every single day at four 30 since March 16th of 2020. Nice. Um, and we, we, we do it every day. Um, and, uh, and it's been pretty consistent and, uh, but we do have a group chat as well. And every single morning, um, I'm usually the first one up except for a couple of other parents that are in the chat. And, uh, I usually post a reading, a daily reading from the, from the, uh, from the just for today book, but it's for NA. Sure. Um, and what's, what's kind of funny is when we started the zoom meetings, um, I accidentally, the first meeting, uh, I accidentally did the wrong day. So I'm, <laughs> I've been, I, so I've, I've been a day ahead and I've kept it that way. So every day for the last year and a half that we've done the meeting, it's always tomorrow's reading. And it's very serendipitous that that reading always hits home, always nails it right on the head for at least half the group of what they're feeling that day. So it's meant to be that way. And whenever I've missed the meeting due to schedule, uh, whoever takes over the reading that day, they go back to the actual day and it works, but it's not the same. Right. It's, it's like a preview. It's like a preview of tomorrow. Exactly. So it's definitely been kind of my thing. And usually in the mornings I'll, I'll drop them. I'll, I'll drop the reading into the group chat and kind of set everyone's day up uh, until we all talk at four 30. So wow. it's me being of service and it's me, you know, also I, you know, it's, it's, the, it's, it's the way I start my days now, you know, my, I start with my gratitude list that I send to my sponsor. And then I say my third step prayer in the morning. I have my coffee and my cigarette outside. I have a little bit of a quiet time before, before dad, daddy time kicks in. And then, and then I'm off to the races and that's how I start my day every day because I, you know, what, when I was on again, off again in my recovery, prayer and meditation was out the fucking door. Like there was no, every couple days I'd pray in the morning, but it was usually, you know, God relieve me of my hangover or God relieve me of the stress I have financially or this or that. Right. And, it, and, and it was never a, a, a like constant in my life. And now it's been a constant in my life for the last, you know, almost, almost two years that we've been doing this. So it's definitely, I can't start my day without it now. So you, you know? do the gratitude um, list every day. Every single day. Have you missed one? Uh, have you missed any? Uh, I have not. Not since my sponsors asked me to do it. Uh, I have not missed a single day. That's awesome. Um, yeah. And, you know, the, the first three in my gratitude list are, are consistently the same. I start with my higher power. Next is my recovery. Next is my family. And then the, then the, the last two changes daily depending on 
what I'm truly grateful for that day. Uh, and it just, it just depends. You know, I was, uh, I was at a wedding this past weekend in Duluth, Minnesota. Nice. Uh, that's Bob Dylan's uh, hometown. Yes, I know. Uh, there was quite a, quite a lot of Bob Dylan stuff around. Um, but it was, uh, it was a beautiful wedding. It was, uh, one of my, one of my closest friends, uh, who, uh, who's from random Lake, Wisconsin, actually. And that is a real thing. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and so my, 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 my best friend and I, we both flew out. My best friend married them. And I was, uh, I was in the grooms, uh, the groomsmen party and, and it was a, it was a beautiful weekend, but you know, I, I always, you know, am very grateful when I, when I land safely back home, um, or just to, you know, ask, ask God to put angels on my wings, uh, and to be with the pilot and the co-pilot and, and to be with everyone on the plane. Uh, even if there's an asshole on the plane being irate, I, I'm going to pray for that person as well, you know? So, uh, haven't experienced any Karens yet since I've been traveling a lot over the last two months. I kind of want to, if that's weird, it's, it's a very weird weird like desire that I want to see somebody get kicked off of a plane for being that person, not for any other reason. I don't want anybody to be threatening the plane or anything I got that you. could potentially hurt, but I just want to see somebody like refuse to put their mask on. I just do. I don't know why. That's the sick, twisted side of my brain. No, you, uh, it's, it's, you want the chaos. You want the, you want to yeah. see the in insanity. You want to see the, yeah, the I, chaos. I love that stuff yeah. too. Are you yeah, kidding? Because, you know, because it is so, it's so insane to me where we are today. And that after even all that's happened in the last year and a half to still see people out there, you know, especially now with the Delta, which is affecting more children and me being a father Obviously, my biggest concern in my life, period, is the well, excuse me, is the welfare of both my girls. And it's like, you know, my my oldest daughter is being homeschooled. That started almost two years ago now. And we are keeping her in homeschool. My youngest hasn't started yet. She's only four and a half. She'll start next year. Um, but, you know, all these parents that I see on TV complaining about feeling like their kids are muzzled, it's like, Look, look who's in the hospitals right now. It's your, it's all of y'all's children. And, you know, and yet even seeing some of these parents at their child's bedside on a ventilator and they still won't do it. And I'm like, wow, you really are blinded by ignorance and stupidity. Um, and I have no shame in saying that, you know, because it's a, it's true. We're seeing it happen every day. And it's like, especially California, I feel like we really could have, could have got this right sooner, mm. but unfortunately we didn't, but things are getting better. The numbers are definitely still down here, but you know, we still take precautions. My wife and I are both vaccinated. My entire family's vaccinated. Um, and all of my closest friends are vaccinated and, but we, but we, but we still do what we're asked to do, you know? Well, um, it's interesting because addicts, especially like a lot of addicts are super defiant, you know what I mean? And they don't want to be told what to do, but at the same time, they never knew what was in their drugs in the first place. Like, how do they, you know what I'm saying? Like nobody, yeah, uh, like how yeah. does anybody know what's in diet Coke? You know what I mean? Let alone in a vaccine, but I don't want to get down a vaccine thing. I want to, I want to no, hear yeah. what the fuck happened to you that in 2000, you took your first hit of Coke. Like how, how does that happen? Like what had happened before that? So, so, you know, it's, it's, it's funny that you asked that. Cause I was literally watching 
one of the one of the TikTok pages that I follow uh, that I've been following now for the last two months is called Sober Hope. And it's very inspiring. There's a lot of actors, actresses, people that I never even knew were in program, uh, politicians, whatever. It's literally anyone and everyone, even just the average Joe. And um, and just listening to their to their stories is very inspiring. And the gentleman I was listening to this morning, um, he hit the nail on the head. And, and, and I'm so glad that I didn't forget his quote because it's exactly what's going to lead me into my answer, which is being in the world that I am, that I'm in, in the music business, in this entertainment world, um, you have access to excess. Right. And when he said that, I was like, ah, that is so true. I literally had access to excess. Um, and, you know, growing up, in, in, in South, in South Florida, you know, I've, I've, I've been in this business since I was four years old and I, and, and even when the group started when I was 14 in 1992, I, I mean, I was the first Backstreet Boy. The group didn't actually form until 93. So for me, it's already been 29 years Right. this year, but I, I was anti everything. I was anti smoking, anti drinking, anti drugs, anti tattoos, anti piercings. And look at me now, Ma. Right. Um, you know, and but but I was a late, late bloomer. I didn't pick up my first drink till I was 25 years old. Like really pick up a drink. Um, and from 25 to 27, I was just like, oh my God. Like I was out of my fucking mind. Um, you know, and but it it, you know, it 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 was a slow burn. Um, you know, I, I started with, with beer and that didn't work. Then I, then I was in, I, I was obsessed with Sambuca. Um, <laughs> Sambuca was because right around the time that I started drinking Sambuca, uh, I was still living in Florida. I was living in Orlando and they had just stopped indoor smoking. So, um, but right before that, when I started drinking Sambuca, I would go out to a bar with my buddies. I would order a shot of Sambuca and it was the perfect pickup line to meet girls when I was single right? because Sambuca is highly flammable. Okay. So if a chick next to me needed a cigarette lighter, right. I would stick my finger in my Sambuca, light my finger on fire, light their cigarette, and then now we're off to the races. Now the ice has been broke. And hey, what's your name? Da, 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 da. And, it, you know, and then it was just off to the races at that point. Um, until cut to we were on the Millennium Tour in 1999 and I drank an entire bottle and a half of Sambuca and got alcohol poisoning. Um, and that was the end of it for me with Sambuca and tried to drink it again a few months later while we were on the road. And one of my crew guys was like, dude, what is that pussy ass shit? What do you, no, no, no. Drink this. This is a real man's drink. And he handed me a, a, a very dark glass. And I was like, what is this? He said, it's just, just try it. So I chugged it. It burned like a son of a bitch. And I almost threw up. I was like, what is this? And it was Jack Daniels. Right. And I hated it. But once it kind of sat in my chest for a good few minutes, I was like, Oh, I like this. This warm, this is comforting. Tastes like gasoline, but it, it does. It does the job. Like, it does the fucking job. Right? Yeah. 
Let me ask you this though, but before you even move forward, before you're 25, right? Because 25 is a very late bloomer. I was a little bit of a late bloomer too. I was also anti all those things in high school growing up. I was like, those things make you fake. They don't help you. They they keep right. you away from who you're supposed to be. Do you remember when you finally gave into it? Um, it didn't take very long. I mean, I literally, you know, uh, like shortly after, like a few days after I was out with my crew and I had it for the first time, um, every night in the mini bar, I would, you know, make my, I, I, cause I, I didn't like Jack and Coke. It was just straight Jack. I would just shoot it and then I would chase it with a Coke or chase it with uh, a beer. And then it was just like off to the races. And, and then, you know, that stayed pretty constant. There was zero drugs. It was just the whiskey every fucking day. But when you, um, when you changed from sober and super squeaky clean to being like, I'm going to try alcohol. Like, do you remember the shift in your consciousness? Like, what was it? Um, I think it was just this, like, this, this, uh, this, like, superhuman ability where I felt untouchable. I felt like I was impenetrable. Like I felt like I am accepted now. I'm one of the cool kids. Um, I can go downstairs and I can kick it with the, with the crew and the, and the, and the band and, and the fans and we can all drink it up and have fun. And, you know, because I saw it, I saw it happening before I touched liquor to lip and I felt like I was missing out. Right. I felt like, God, that, God, that, that just looks like fun. Why am I being such a boring asshole? When I could be down there and like living it up, I'm in my mid twenties. Like, come on, man. Like, right. Stop being so vanilla. Right. And, but, but I had such a tolerance for alcohol. I could drink a fifth of Jack a day and I was good. I was a functioning, <laughs> right. I was a functioning alcoholic. Right. Um, and then, uh, once I moved to California, it really got worse. Obviously California, LA, you know, you're like in one I of said, the biggest access. groups. You're in one of the biggest groups yeah. in the world. It's like, let me exactly. ask you, let me ask you real quick. Cause I heard you talking about this a little bit when Backstreet Boys blew up, the things that were big in popular culture were really dangerous things like Nirvana, Biggie Smalls, Tupac, all that kind of stuff like was pervading popular culture. And you guys had a real pop sensibility. Do you think that sort of contributed to you being like, fuck it, you know, we're, we're so like tame. I need to at least experience some level of wild in this world. Well, yeah, because, you know, I, I basically played into this facade that was projected on me. So right. every, every group, every predecessor before me or before Backstreet Boys that we looked up to, New Edition, sure. uh, New Kids on the Block, Boys to Men, Shy, Jodeci, even though Boys to Men didn't really have one, uh, there was a bad boy. There was a guy who just didn't give a shit, who was just throwing down. And I'm like, you know, I started getting my tattoos. I was dyeing my hair. Um, you know, I was doing all these things. And next thing you know, it's like, whoa, whoa, I'm really kind of falling into this, this, this projected role that was given to me. And I really ate that shit up. The Bobby I Brown, like, the Bobby Brown role. Yeah. Yeah. Bobby and like Donnie Wahlberg back yeah. in the day. I mean, yeah. you know, obviously both of them have come out the other side, but like, you know, I, 
I really was like falling into this, you know, trap of this manipulation that was projected on me from, from the outside world. And so then obviously now that I'm putting this out and I'm living this, this facade, um, you know, Alex kind of got lost in the mix, you Mm -hmm. know? So then I started living this dual life. There's Alex and there's AJ. AJ was the fucking bad boy, rock star, acts, you know, access to excess guy who can do whatever he wants. And this is all, thank God, pre-social media. Oh my God. If there was social media back then, <laughs> right. my life would have been in shambles. Um, but just like, just like the first step says, my life was unmanageable, but I didn't see that. I thought I was able be, because again, I was a functioning alcoholic and it wasn't until we, we shot the video for the song, the call, I was hanging out with uh, with a then friend of mine who was one of the first people I met when I moved to L.A. And the 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 night that we shot the video, it was a night shoot. So my call time was two thirty a.m. And I was rapping when the sun was coming up because it was meant to be a night shoot. And we had to be outside downtown L.A. Uh, very, very ominous video. And I had gone to dinner that night and I had a couple glasses of wine and I was fucking exhausted. And we were in my hotel room at the Lermitage Hotel in Beverly Hills. I'll never forget it. And I was about to take a nap before my uh, call time. And my buddy said, hey, if you're tired, try this. This will pick you up. And he pulled out a bag with white powder in it. And I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. I've heard horror stories about Coke. I'm not touching that shit. He's like, all right, well. It's here if you want it. Mm. And he, and then he went to use the restroom and I stared at that bag. Like I was staring at, I don't know, uh, whatever God in that moment. Sure. And, and the room keys for this particular hotel were an actual key with a flat, rigid face that was thick and wide. It was the perfect Coke key (laughs) for anyone that's ever done Coke. Right. It, like literally this key was designed for cocaine addicts. So I just said, you know what? Fuck it. So I took two quick little bumps. Nothing happened. And I'm like, okay, I got a little tingly cut to, I laid down for like three hours, got up. I get to set and I sit in the makeup chair and now I am flying high. Right. And I'm telling everybody, the makeup artist, I'm telling the crew, guys, I'm on fucking coke. This is amazing. Oh my God, what's happening? Everyone's like, AJ, first of all, stop saying that out loud. Second of all, you need to chill. <laughs> you're literally like you're gonna jump out of your skin. And and I was able to contain it. And my bandmates, nobody was the wiser. And now I was introduced to my everyday life, which was for two years after that moment, I didn't see the sunlight, Um, you know, because it was a fifth of Jack and an eight ball a night. That was my life every single day for the better part of almost two years. And towards the end of that run was when it finally, like, like we say, it worked until it didn't. Were you always snorting and, it or were you smoking it? You never shot no, it, right? No, always – no. I, I, now, here's a little funny anecdote. I am covered in tattoos. Uh, I am terrified of needles. Right. Um, I, I literally have to lie down and somebody has to go with me to hold my hand. I'm 43 years old to give blood. I literally will pass out. 
um, you know, getting the vaccine, I had to have the nurse there hold my hand. Like it's, it's that serious. Um, so there was never a chance of me putting a needle in my arm ever. What about smoking? Um, uh, nope. I, 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 I never thought that was a thing for me that plus the, the, the crowd that I was in, involved in, nobody did it that way. I'm sure that if somebody did and was like, yo, you can get fucked up faster. I probably would have. You never put but, it in the end of the cigarette and smoked the wooly. Nope. But I did. <laughs> I, I, but I did hear probably three years into my sobriety back when I got sober the first time. Right. I, I, I did hear about, cause I still smoke cigarettes, unfortunately, but I heard about parliaments because parliaments had that little gap. The recess, the, the recessed filter. Yeah, the recess filter where people were telling me, oh, yeah, dude, people would put coke in there and they would just put it in their nose real quick and then smoke it. And then the residue that was in there, you know, would like do do the little add on to it. So I'm like, oh, well, thank God I didn't know about that because I used to smoke parliaments. See, we Um, used to always pack our cigarettes down and then dip it into the coke on the end and smoke it like that. That's how we always did it. Um, and it makes you go crazy when you're doing it for the two years and you're doing an eight ball a day, uh, at the end of the night, were you taking pills in order to get to bed or like, how would you go to bed? Uh, no, I would literally finish the night off with probably a double shot of Jack. Right. And literally the sun's coming up. I had blackouts in my room and I would just go to go to sleep. My body finally calmed down and I'd sleep till the sun was down, wake up around six o'clock at night make myself a quick little something shitty to eat in my house. Mm. My fridge was never stocked except with booze. And then I would go to my local billiard hall bar. My dealer would meet me there. I'd get another bag. I'd have a couple shots. I'd go bowling. I'd go to the strip club. I would tell a bunch of girls, Hey, I've got this, that, and the other. And everybody would come over to my house at like three in the morning. And we would just party until the sun came up. And that was it every fucking day. And every did, day. Did the band know? Nobody knew for literally for almost almost the two full years until, like I said a minute ago, it was working until it didn't. Then what started happening is uh, I started missing rehearsal. Um, I started, you know, going on these on these binders that literally I could not function. So for the first couple times that I lied to the guys, you know, they, they were like, Oh, he's sick. Okay, cool. And you know, I could pick up choreography the fastest. I could learn shit the fastest. So nobody was really worried. Then when it started becoming more consistent, the guys were like, okay. And we've seen him drink a lot on the road. Maybe there is something wrong. And I'll never forget the guys I uh, called and I said, I'm not coming to rehearsal. And we were in Orlando and they, the, 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 the four of them broke into my house, went to my kitchen mm. for whatever reason I had a walk and I never used it, but I, <laughs> I, I fucking had, I, I owned a walk. Yes. They filled the walk with ice and water and dumped it on my head. I was in a Coke coma, just passed out and they dumped it on my head and I was, I was livid and I'm like, uh, uh-uh, uh no, no, no get out of my house. I threatened to call the cops for, for, for them breaking and entering super angry. And yeah. And at, at that point was when the guys were like, okay, there's something wrong here. And then I knew that it was really bad when I started 
drinking on stage during the show, the, 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 the encore of our show during the black and blue tour, uh, which was in 2001, the last three songs, uh, there was a skit that I did on stage with our band and I would walk over to our percussionist who would have a red solo cup filled with Jack and I would chug it. And the, and the fans were none, were, were none the wiser. They thought it was water. And then, so as soon as I was done with the show, the buzz was kicked in. I was ready to go for the rest of the night. And cut to, uh, we were asked before a show in Boston uh, if we would throw the first pitch out at the beginning of the, of the uh, baseball season. At Fenway. Uh, the very, yeah, at Fenway the very next day. Uh, it was a day off, and we all said, sure. And we did our show. I went out that night, got obliterated. The next morning, our tour manager called and said, okay, uh, lobby calls in 45 minutes. And I said, yeah, no, I'm not going to go. And he's like, well, you said you would last night. I'm not going to get in the middle of it. I suggest you you call your bandmates. I'm like, no, I'm, I don't have to. It's fine. It's not mandatory. It's just throwing out a pitch. Who was going to actually uh, little, throw the pitch in the group? Well, this is where it gets interesting. So little did I know, I had forgotten that we were also asked to sing the national anthem. Uh-oh. So uh, I get a call from one of my bandmates, uh, and he's like, dude, come on. It just It's 30 minutes out of your life. Just come on. I'm like, no, dude. I'm, no. So cut to our oldest member, Kevin. Uh, I had my, my main bedroom door double bolted, and then the bedroom door had another double bolt. So he was able to break in the main room door, like with his shoulder. He broke in the room, tried to get into the bedroom, but he couldn't. We exchanged some words. It was not pretty. And the last thing he said to me is, you know what? I will never fucking trust you again. You're dead to me. And and did, did he know? Did he know you were a cokehead? Did oh, he no. They, they, they knew at that point that I was doing more than drinking. They didn't know what. They had paid to have a therapist on the road at that point i never used her and they started also doing random drug testing and i got caught twice the first time i actually paid a local crew guy for his pee um and when the and when the test results came back there was so much shit in this guy's system and i'm like okay no that's not me but i fucking <laughs> what I, was it know, what was I'm in like, his system oh dude he had like fucking Methadone. He had fucking. <laughs> you picked the wrong. You shit. picked the wrong guy. That's funny. Clearly, and so you know, basically, after all that shit went down, I called my security. I said, "Fuck this. I want out. I'm going home." And my management came to my room. My security, the therapist, and they all sat me down and said, "Look, bro, uh, we think you need to go to treatment." Um, and I said, "Okay, fine, fine. I'll go willingly." but I want to go home first to see my mom. And the therapist said in that moment, she goes, I, I'm, I, 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 I can't tell you what to do, but I can tell you my professional opinion is that's a bad idea. Uh, if you do that, your mom is probably going to enable you as most moms do in that moment and think that she can fix you and you're just going to stay on the path and you might end up dead or in jail or whatever. Right. So she said, I suggest you go. What we say in the rooms is door to door. So I left the next morning and I flew out to Arizona, Tucson, Arizona. I went to Sierra Tucson yeah, yeah. for a 30 day program. And, uh, that was, uh, July 9th, 2001. 
and I was able to stay sober for seven years. Now, let me, uh, let me ask you something, because basically what I understand what you're telling me is you started drinking at 25. You started doing Coke in the middle. Was there nothing else? Did you smoke weed? Did you trip acid? Nope. Did you smoke nothing. PCP? Nope. Did you put did nope. you smoke DMT? Nothing. No nothing. ecstasy on just, the road with the Backstreet uh, Boys? I, tr- I tried ecstasy twice. Didn't like it. Uh, but it was really, it was just, you know, it was Jack and Coke, but a different kind of Coke. I mean, that was my, that was my mixture. That was it for me. Right. And, uh, you were very, you know, very disciplined in your drug use as well as your performer. I mean, like that's, that's, I think that's telling in itself. Don't you think? Yeah. I mean, obviously I, you know, looking back on it now, I was, uh, a very, in my mind, I was a very professional addict. Totally. Um, I, I, I was, I, I was self-contained. Uh, I never wanted to go outside of my comfort zone for fear of dying. That was my fear. That's why I didn't want to touch heroin, didn't want to touch meth, didn't want to touch crack because I, I knew what I was doing was working and it was working for me. So I figured why fuck it up? Why risk it when this is what works for me? Um, and clearly it wasn't working. And as most addicts know, uh, I thought by doing blow after I started getting drunk that it was sobering me up right? because I was more awake. Clear. No, you're just getting more fucked up. Right. You're just getting more fucked up. You're getting more um, ability to drink more and fucked up at the same time. Exactly. And so, like I said, I put seven years together and ended up relapsing um, for literally no reason. Um, there was... No, it, it, the situation had nothing to do with me. Um, it was a fight that happened between my, one of my bandmates and his personal security. It stressed me out. We had a day off the next day. I went back to my hotel room in Belgium, turned on a movie, opened the mini bar, went to grab a Coca-Cola, grabbed a Heineken, said, fuck it, drank it, didn't touch drinks for three months. Of that. Mm-hmm. And then from that moment, three months later, it was on again, off again, up until literally physically up until uh, December 8th of 2020. And including um, Coke, the, the final thing you're, you're, Oh, you're doing, all of it. All right, of it. right, right. All of it. Coke. Yeah. I mean, obviously once I started drinking again, the Coke came back in and it was right back into it again. It was right back into the cycle. Um, eight ball a day, twice. eight ball a night. What oh, was, oh, yeah. when did you OD? I OD'd uh, the first time when I was still, still living in uh, Orlando uh, at my house. Um, and long story short, uh, I had a safe in my closet and I was hoarding all my drugs. I was hoarding whatever in there for you know my little parties I would have every night. And the one night, and this is just, this is, this is God in my life, not knowing it then, um, you know, my buddies brought this rando dude over whose dad was like the most sought after plastic surgeon in Orlando. And he brought over a, a fucking bag with these needles. <coughs> Excuse me. And I'm like, oh, dude, no, that shit's not going to fly in my house. And he goes, no, 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 no. This is adrenaline. Just in case. I'm like, just in case what? He's like, dude, you never know, man. And thank God he brought it. And I told him to put it in my safe and thank God that he remembered the code because when I basically fell to the floor, when I fell to the floor, uh, 
he opened up the safe and sh- it was like straight Tarantino. Wow. Just, just jabbed me in the chest. Wow. I woke up. Uh, everybody there was like, we got to get you to a hospital. I said, fuck that. Because at that point, people, people knew who I was. Sure. There was no going anywhere, literally nowhere. I couldn't go to the gas station. So I'm like, nope, nope. I'm just going to sleep it off. And the second time was New Year's Eve in New York. Um, I don't know necessarily if I really OD'd, but I definitely was not waking up. And I was with my wife um, at the time. We were st- just dating still. And uh, it, we, it, we, we were about to get married. We hadn't got married yet. Um, and she was just terrified because she couldn't wake me up. Um, did she ever get high with you, your wife? Nope. She's a normie. And did Um, she know? So when we first started dating, like our third or fourth date, she watched me do blow right in front of her, but she thought, okay, maybe this is just a casual thing. No big deal. You know, he is who he is. I get it. But then very, very short after that, she knew this was bad and she stuck it out with me. We've been together for 12 years. Amazing. Um, married for 10 this coming December. Congratulations. Um, That's awesome. Thank you. And she, she is in program as well. She's in Al-Anon. Um, and thank God. Al-Anon is amazing, what, right? It's, it's amazing. Well, that's what saved, that's what saved our relationship. Um, many times, uh, I've been to treatment three different times. Um, and she's really been my rock through all of this. And she understands that for some people, relapse is part of the is part of the deal, but sometimes that one last relapse could be your last relapse. Absolutely, um, you know. So, uh, but honest to God, like she has been my rock. She's been literally like solid with me. And trust me, there's been many a time where if I were her, I, I would have walked out. I would have walked out. But she, she, she saw more good in me than anybody than I ever did. Um, and you know, I never worked the steps. I never had a sponsor all the, all this time until December 8th of, of, of 2020. Um, you know, I finally got a sponsor. When you had, when you had the seven years, did you work it, work the program thoroughly then? I just went to meetings for the first two years. I went to about seven meetings a week. And then as that, as the years went on, it got less and less and less. Sure. And, you know, basically I was white knuckling it. I was just a dry drunk. Um, so, and I never, never did the steps at all. So, you know, it was only a matter of time, uh, before, uh, I ended up going out and, and even after I went out the first time after seven years, it wasn't to the level that it got back to, to where I would be like, yeah, maybe I should really go back to meetings or whatever. I just never did. So what was the um, thing? What was the thing that was like, I can't do it? Um, the straw that broke the camel's back, December 8th, uh, when I got back from Vegas, of course, Vegas, it's mm-hmm. always got to be Vegas, right? right. Uh, I flew out to Vegas on my own to go see a, uh, one of my friends uh, opening night for her show. Was uh, it was it chair? No, it was uh, Shania. <laughs> nice. Shania was uh, taking over over at Planet Hollywood where we were. Uh, we had just we uh, we had finished our residency and she was about to start. And um, and I went ham. And when I got home, every time I would get home, my youngest would always want cuddles. 
Lyric loves her cuddle time with daddy. And she sat next to me. She looked at me and she got close to me and she backed away. And I'm like, what's wrong? Mind you, I, I hadn't slept. And my wife and I had already gotten into it. Um, but Lyric said to me, you don't smell like my daddy. Mm. And in that moment, I was devastated. I was embarrassed. I was ashamed. I was angry. I was, I, I was at the end of my rope. You had, the, you had the ability to see yourself through her eyes, which was incredibly valuable. Yes. And that night, uh, I went to a sober living that, uh, to, to, uh, celebrate a friend of mine who was getting her third, her third birthday cake. Um, and that night, uh, talked to my best friend who is my sponsor. And I said, bro, I'm done. And he's like, okay, okay. You've said that for the last 20 years, but he saw something different in me. And he said, all right, well, if you're serious, I want you to be at my house tomorrow at six o'clock and we'll, and we'll get into the, uh, you know, book. I showed up 45 minutes early and I was desperate. And, uh, and even over this last year and a half that I've been working the steps, finally, finally, I'm doing my fourth step. Okay. And which is been so all the rumors are true. <laughs> when you do your four step, you're literally shitting out all the shit. Mm -hmm. And I never really appreciated it until now that I'm in it. And oh my God, it is life changing. Now it doesn't mean, and you know, and, and I, I obviously know now I'll be, rest of my life it doesn't matter if i do it once obviously my 10th step is going to be that you know that living inventory daily but you know because there's going to be resentments that come up again there's going to be issues but the fact that i'm finally doing it is a testament to a the program and a testament to how serious i am i want to be sober um and it is my life it is it is my daily reprieve. Um, I get up in the morning. Like I said, I do my routine, but I also take pen to paper every morning. Well, um, that's, that's serious. I'm doing my fifth step for the second time and I've been doing it slowly. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. like one thing at a time slowly. And it's a little feet dragging, but I, I found that like, if I don't do it often, it grows back like hair on my face. You know, that shit, the resentment oh, yeah. and, the, and the craziness. Well, you know, the one thing I'll say that um, that I can button everything up with is I got I just got a couple of brand new tattoos recently. And it's been a, it's been a while, obviously, because of the pandemic. I've not been able to go. But my sponsor kept saying this 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 uh, Chinese proverb for years to me. And I kept forgetting it. And only recently that I've started my four step have I really appreciated this Chinese proverb to the to the degree that I got it tattooed on my body. So I will never forget it, which really is the definition of my recovery and the only way, only way that I can stay sober, which is true victory is victory over oneself. Um, and the more that I let go and let God and the more that I relieve myself of my character defects and my resentments and all this pent up shit, 
the more that I realize I'm no better and no worse than anybody next right. to me. Absolutely. Um, will I truly find happiness? And I've battled with self-esteem my whole life, my whole career. I've battled with duality. I've battled with my demons of who is, who is, who between Alex and AJ is going to finally uh, emerge successfully. How do you, how do you get to be your genuine self? Right. Exactly. And I am living that today. Right. I am living my genuine self today. And you look, I've got good days and bad days. I'm sure you do. We all do. But I now know when I have a bad day, I know the steps to take to relieve that negative energy or where I can put and transfer that negative energy to turn it into a positive. Um, And I never did that before. I harbored every single emotion. And for years, I was able to project it through my music or exercise or whatever, but I never really truly leaned into the uncomfortableness. And now I can do that. And it's life changing. Right. Um, you know, and, and, and if there's any advice I can give to any addicts out there that are listening to the show, um, dude, it's just addicts listening to the show, but yes, please. Okay. Well, yeah. The only, one of the first things I heard when I first got into the rooms of AA and NA and CA and all of it Mm -hmm. was the only way around is through. Um, and it's true. You know, we've got to go through pain to get to happiness. Because, because if we don't, if we don't, we just hide out and the pain comes back. Right. Exactly. You know, without doing a program, without really knowing yourself and loving yourself and having a spiritual connection, with what, whoever or whatever you call God, um, you are destined for failure. And one of the, one of the other things I'll say to everybody listening is this is how I live my life today. It's the spiritual path or the psychopath. Mm, I like that. That's enough. That's enough said. I like that. That is it. That is all encompassing into what, what my daily life has to be now. Um, you know, I was never, a uh, a church going man, but I'm, I am a spiritual man. And I know that there is a power greater than me. That's kept me sane. That's kept me alive. Um, and that has kept me on this path for a reason. Do you think, Um, do you think it's built in? And I just want to ask this question because I've been, I, I, I find myself so much more spiritual than I ever was. And I was not ever a religious person either. And I pray every day like you. Um, and I met, and I've meditated more too, but I was talking to a friend last night And it kind of hit me that maybe the real reason that the higher power is in the program to the extent that it is, is so that we don't think we can control it. Right. Well, no, because a lot of people, you know, when you're an addict and you're fully in your disease, uh, I've, I mean, this is what I've seen from experience and what I've talked to other addicts about is that we think we're God. We think we are godlike we be, because we've been able to to maintain this fucked up lifestyle and it not take us out. So we have this mentality of, well, I must be superhuman. I must be godlike. And you are not a god. You can't control what happens. You can't control no. outcomes, right? No. Exactly. No, exactly. So if if you know, if there was a pill that I could take 
that would completely fix my addiction, uh, you know, that I could create, I would be wealthier than Jeff Bezos. But it's but here's the thing. I still wouldn't take it. And I wouldn't take it because that's just an easy way out. You will still never have true happiness and know your true self if you don't don't really dive into the program and really have a spiritual connection and really work the steps. It's you the journey. Won't. It's getting there is half it the is. fun. The journey is the destination. Exactly. I'm with you, man. I'm totally with 100%. you. 100%, my man. You've and, been uh, incredibly generous. I really do appreciate you, you making the time. Uh, I know that the Dopey Nation will appreciate it as well. So so thank you, man. And, uh, dude. Well, my I, pleasure, man. I Hey, listen, I, I just want to say before we finish, uh, I would love to reciprocate, and I would love to have you on our podcast as well at some point, Pretty Messed Up on iHeartRadio. I'd love to have you on to tell your story. Dude, um, yes. Are you, you know, kidding me? So, uh, to be on your fancy podcast with Cheryl Burke and Renee Elizondo, you, you set the day and I'm there, man. Are you kidding me? Done deal. Uh, we're actually doing a podcast tonight, so I'll, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll drop it in the, uh, in the back of everyone's mind so we can definitely get this set up. All right, cool, man. AJ, I really appreciate it, man. My pleasure, man. Thanks. Thanks for being patient with me. I might still just uh, just text you out of the blue here and there, and maybe I'll, I'll crash your your Zoom meeting one time. Give me an invitation to your Zoom meeting. I'd love absolutely, to go. I will absolutely send you the invite, bro. All right, man. Thanks so much. Cheers, brother. So there you have it. That was the great AJ McLean from the Backstreet Boys, and now joining us again, back to back, two weeks in a row. The strung out author herself, Erin Carr. Welcome back to the show. Glad to be here. It's a thrill a minute on dope. <laughs> um, so what do you think? The great AJ McLean. Well. Is it McLean? It's McLean. It's McLean. But yeah. he, McLean makes it sound <laughs> <know>. so dopey. <laughs> it really does. It's appropriate. I didn't really know that much about him beforehand. And uh, <laughs> I told you this earlier. The thing that, that stuck out to me most were Parliament cigarettes. <laughs> The recessed filter. I never enjoyed smoking parliaments. You know, let me ask you this. Okay. I loved smoking cigarettes Mm -hmm. and I started smoking cigarettes, smoking my girlfriend's cigarettes. And then I wanted to be kind of tough. So I would smoke unfiltered cigarettes. Okay. Mm -hmm. And then I settled into Marlboro Reds. Mm -hmm. But the thing that I really enjoyed is like if I hung out with people that smoked light cigarettes, you know what I would do? You cut the filter in half. Right. And then you can choose how strong the cigarette is by where (laughs) you cut the filter. I was into that. The very first cigarettes that I smoked were uh, Cool King filters. Well, those are very cool cigarettes. (laughs) But a very odd choice for like, you know, a a teenager. A young white girl. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Yeah. Bob Dylan smoked cools. Really? Yeah. Yeah. You know, and he was, AJ was in Duluth. And he was like, he was like, thank you. I know it's Bob Dylan's right. up <laughs> I wanted to ask, I wanted, there were so many things I wanted to ask him. Yeah. I wanted to ask him, did he ever meet Bob Dylan? All right. right. I don't know why I want, I want to ask everybody about Bob Dylan. Yeah. I wanted to ask him, like, do you remember in the nineties that Blink 182 put out that like mock Backstreet Boys video? Oh, right. Right. Where they were, they were like basically it, doing a parody of it. Right. I wanted to see how he thought about that. I want. I heard Linda, my beautiful wife, told me that uh, he was dating Britney Spears. Oh, 
and I was just going to say, I can't believe you didn't ask him anything about Britney Spears. Well, now I feel like you're making a personal attack <laughs> no. against me. It was a huge mistake. But I was thought in my head, I thought Linda was wrong and that he hadn't dated Britney Spears. But it was very public that he had. I mean, I didn't know that before this, but I, it totally tracks. So if. Wait, didn't she date just she did was. Wait, this is going to make me sound really dumb. Was Justin Timberlake? No, he was in NSYNC, right? I can't believe you're this much of a fan of 90210 and know nothing <laughs> about the boy band phenomenon when it's very similar style. Yeah. Stylistically, it's very similar. But you know what? Like the bands that they had on 90210, they had the flaming lips on there. They had the cramps on there, like in the Peach Pit After Dark days. But they also had like... like uh didn't they have the, the Canadian rapper, uh, what's his face? I can't believe I can't think of his name. In Snow, in full. No, no, you're just thinking of David Silver. He was very Snow-esque. <laughs> but was. they also had the Cranberries. But that's, I guess, they did. did they? At the Peach Pit After Dark, the Cranberries. They, they had the Cardigans. In my dreams. Na, 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 na. That's not how it goes. No? Isn't that? Who is that? <laughs> oh, no, no, it is kind of how it goes. How's it go? I mean, it is kind of like that. How does it go? Yeah, you're right. No, I, I'm asking you to I'm not sing. sing it right come on, now. come on. You tell me how it goes. Tell so me how it goes. Da, da, da. You were right. Da, 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 da. She just died. I know. She's suicide, right? I think it was. Or was it? Was it by overdose? I think it was suicide. I don't know if it's from overdose, but uh, I it made me really sad. It made me sad that she died because her voice is so original Mm -hmm. and no one's ever sounded like her. And I didn't even like that band. But when I, after I saw that she died and I heard that song, Mm -hmm. I was transported to the peach pit after dark and my youth, you know? Yeah. You don't think they were actually on the, I don't think they were. (laughs) (laughs) You see the doubt all over my face. No. I mean, there were so many bands that were on there. The cardigans who had that song, like love me, love me. No, yeah, 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 yeah. They were at, they played like Kelly Taylor's like graduation party. Are you sure that was the Cardigans? Yeah. I thought the Cardigans were the band that did the Friends song. No, that was the, re- that was, uh, that was somebody else. I that feel I'll like be the, here for you. that Love Me, Love Me, I, I, in my mind, it it's totally the Ace is. of Bass. No, no, no. Ace of Bass is like way earlier. I don't know anything. <laughs> Forgive there, me. There was a, I think there may have been an Ace of Bass song on an early, like one of the first episodes of 90210. It's so sad that they took the music off, by the way. It's, what do you mean they took the music off? When you watch, like, it's on Hulu and on some other... They didn't get the rights to the songs. No, because back then it wasn't a thing. So they lost the rights to the songs when everything, like, switched. When it was still on in reruns, like when we, you and I were watching it when we were getting high. Yes. They had the music on there, right? I can, now I can hear the flaming lips in my head. Yes, yeah, they did. Yeah. Like they did uh, jelly. I yes, think. they did. Yeah. Exactly. Or Vaseline, Vaseline. Yeah, yeah. I thought like more than anything, AJ was direct. Yes, he was friendly. Yes, he was clear. He seems like a very nice guy, and has a great message of recovery and Dopey Nation. I would love to hear what you thought of AJ McLean. Write us an email at dopeypodcast at gmail.com. Let us know what you thought. Now, you said your boyfriend did something with Parliament filters. What would he do? So when I started smoking Parliaments, I mean, he's a person that I was smoking crack with. So (laughs) I, I have some vague recollection that he would put some of like the residue into the cigarette somehow. But would he smoke it or would he put it in? I thought that was weird putting it in the filter part. 
I think it was in the filter. Maybe my memory is incorrect, but did you that's smoke Woolies as a kid? It putting it in the like in the bottom of the cigarette. Just smoking it in the cigarette. No, so I think that was a New York. I mean, thing. I think I think I had I have done that in my life, but that wasn't like a thing for me because also you have to remember like especially when I was young, my drug use was very private. So even if I saw other people like doing coke, I was acting like. Oh no, like I don't do that. Right. If we had Coke, we would always take a cigarette and dip it in and smoke it like. Well, then you're not wasting it. (laughs) Well, it was like, it was like smoking crack and it was, and I think we liked saying the word wooly. Right. It was a great, it was a great. I don't think I've heard that term before. It's, I think it could be an East Coast thing. I think it's a New York thing. I'm not sure. I have to tell you the first time that I did heroin, like outside of the West Coast, I was so. Like I had, you know, that my first, well, actually I take that back. The very first time I did heroin, it wasn't like black tar heroin. And this was in Los Angeles, but it was because the teenager that I got it from his older brother, like had like higher quality stuff from college or something. The good, the good stuff. That was another thing I really wanted to ask him about, which is touring. I mean, like my, my biggest interesting question for musicians who had drug habits is, how did you get from place to place with it? With drugs. Like, and when you didn't have it, like, and everyone's like, what? I just got it. And like, for me, it's an always like that, that quest. It's like, I'm always interested in that quest. Well, they must have had somebody go get it for them. Although I've known, I've been in cities with people who were on tour that got arrested because they went to go get it themselves. <laughs> right. Well, he, he like... He was private like you are, so I don't know if he had handlers doing it for him, but he must have. He must have. Oh, I but I didn't have handlers going to get me. So when you traveled, when you traveled, Mm -hmm. how would you how would you deal with it? So most of my drug use was pre 9-11, right? Because I got sober in 2013, 2013, 2003 was, you know, I was done. So pre 2001, I would take it you know I was much more lax about it and I would FedEx it to myself so I still think I did that did I do I think I may have still no I don't know if I did that post 2001 but I would still travel with it that's how the Grateful Dead did it they would send it to themselves Mm -hmm. but they would lose it sometimes yeah so did that ever happen that it got lost no isn't that the greatest when you get there and it's there yeah but I did this like (laughs) I was in I was back east once for for Thanksgiving and I had it FedEx so I would get it I think I they were like delivered it like Thanksgiving morning and I was out because I brought just a little bit with me and I was worried that it wasn't going to get there and you know I'm like checking the tracking calling the number over and over again and it was just such a relief my friend a friend of mine Diana in the book who would do things like that for me send it to me and when she would FedEx me drugs she would put them in uh, these vanilla uh, Dunhill cigarettes. They'd make like these vanilla cigarettes that have very strong smell. To so throw she would, the dogs off. She would put it like inside, inside, like open up like one of the cigarettes and then like put it inside there. Real Mata Hari. What is, is it Mata Hari? Is she the spy that does secret yeah. stuff? It's very, I remember like one of my favorite things was uh, we went to Amsterdam and I'm sure I've told this story on Dopey when we were kids we went to Amsterdam and my friend who died, Todd, mm-hmm. was obsessed with how much stuff he could ship home, you know, and how he could ship it home. And he like, he, one morning he goes out and he gets a box, he gets a, a thing of jelly, he gets a thing of coffee and he gets like shampoo. 
All right, and he's sending Bud and Hash and Seeds home. That's what all he wanted to do is send Bud and Hash and Seeds back from Amsterdam. And he's like, "They're gonna think it's in the coffee, so I'm not gonna put anything in the coffee." Right. I was I was just gonna say that coffee wasn't coffee always right. the thing. So he didn't put anything in the coffee. Then he takes the jelly, scoops it out, puts like the seeds triple wrapped in the jelly. Then he puts the jelly back on. Then he and Todd was not good at anything mm-hmm. except this stuff. <laughs> and he would boil a pot of water and he would put the thing of jelly in the boiling water so the to top would it. smooth. Right. So that if you opened it, it would be smooth. And then he took all the bud, wrapped it up triple, and he put it in the shampoo. And he didn't he got it all when he got it all went home. I mean I usually when I traveled <clears throat> with it internationally, and this was even after after nine eleven, I traveled internationally with drugs on me, which oh god, so stupid. But, um, yeah, I mean, I would find ways to get it there. I couldn't handle the, I mean, I traveled post 9-11. I always had it in my pocket. I always had it in my pocket because I knew it wasn't metal. Right. No one was smelling for dogs. I didn't want to put it in my bag because I figured they x-rayed it. I could see Definitely don't put it in your bag. I was just like, I'm just going to put in my pocket. Yeah. And like, and I never had an issue. I was always freaked out. I remember one time I think I threw drugs away Mm -hmm. because I got too paranoid on the way to the security check. I still, I I still feel nervous when I go through security now. I'm not like... Which is, I mean, this is so long ago, and I still have that like slightly sweaty feeling, like I did something wrong. Going through customs and uh, through not so much TSA, but like going through customs, I remember that like sweaty feeling. I have the feeling like that all of a sudden they're going to find the bag of dope I lost ten right. years ago <laughs> in the bottom of like my backpack or something. Like I always think like something is going to go just wrong. Other than the story I told last week about finding the dope in my sweater, like I never, I never misplaced. I mean, I always just did them all. So there wasn't ever anything left over. No, I would find, find. I, I would find drugs all the time because I was so irresponsible right. and so all over the place. Well, you know, mine, I was all organized in my Hello Kitty case. No, but that was <laughs> awesome. I love that. I mean, but when you find drugs, it's the greatest thing right. in the world. Another Todd story that I've definitely told on Dopey, but I have to tell you because I think you'll think it's funny. We went to detox this time. I went to detox and then Todd met me there and he decided it was too disgusting. It was public detox in L.A. He decided it was too disgusting for him to stay there. So he left and he blamed it on the food. He was like, the food is just not good and the (laughs) the cafeteria smells really bad and blah, 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 blah. And uh, I think we left, I don't know, eight hours Distance, Like he left and then I left eight hours later and he was staying at my house Mm -hmm. with my girlfriend and I get there and we're sitting on the floor and his backpack is there and he opens up his backpack and it's a fucking paquete. You know, it's like the fucking 12 balloons and the thing. He goes, he goes, I don't know how that got there. I totally forgot. I just must have forgotten I had it. I was like, dude, shut the fuck up. You definitely went and bought it. He goes, no, I forgot I had it. And he said that for like months (laughs) that, that that was like that he found a paquete of 12 balloons in his backpack but of course he lied yeah i mean i never like this is why i ended up having to have people fedex me drugs because i would bring drugs with me on a trip thinking it would last me and i always like i was not the person like with heroin and you know with crack like it was just i was just going to do it until it was gone and diana was the person who would hook you up yeah she was the person that would hook me up yeah is there anyone else that shipped you drugs nope Mm mm-mm 
I had Todd ship me drugs, and I had the first person that ever shot me shot me up, send mm-hmm. me drugs. Mm-hmm. But we're in in now, like in not in dopey style. Like I often set things up on dopey and then never follow through. Right. Like in my recovery, I don't do that with dopey. Somehow that seems to happen once in a while. Right. But. We said we were going to set up the Ask Aaron yes. segment. <laughs> We've just been rambling on. No, and this is the Ask Aaron yes. segment. And amazingly, a couple people in the Dopey Nation participated and yeah. sent in emails for Aaron to answer. And Aaron is going to ship out uh, paperback Oops. copies of her incredible memoir, Strung Out. And there's still, I think we, we've gotten three or four. Haven't we gotten three or four? Eight. Three, well, one was like a two-part question. So dudes and, and Dopey Nation folks out there, if you want Aaron Carr's strung out, there's three more lucky people yes. that can get a copy. So send in an Ask Aaron question, and let's hear the, the first Ask Aaron question. Okay, this is, uh, I'm not going to use names except, can I use? Use an initial. All right, so J-E... Although he's oh, Justin England? Are oh, yeah. you kidding I, I can, me? I can use his name, but I'm not going to use the other name. So Justin England, who Dave shouted out last week. Uh, he's getting way too... He's probably getting a little big for his bridges <laughs> out there at this point. <laughs> he said, uh, I like to write, and it turns out people like my ramblings. A few people even enjoyed my pilot I'd written, and I'm now writing a six-episode season for funding, which is, well, it's amazing, right? I looked up to Quentin Tarantino at first. He was the first writer I had read work on. That was it. I learned to write through his David Foster Wallace pension type scripts. However, I've been diagnosed bipolar, which is fine. I'm not scared of it, and it's not scared of me, probably because it's mostly in control, little fucker. Anyway, have you any advice on how I can tap into the manic side or tapping into my creative side when I'm low? It's a big question, not an easy one, but it's one I like looked at. So, What do you think? Well, I have no idea if Justin is under the care of a psychiatrist for bipolar disorder, but in my... I think he is. Okay, so for me, uh, I take Wellbutrin and have, you know, depression slash a personality disorder and also kind of tend to run on highs and lows. Uh, I have to be careful when it comes to work because sometimes when I'm really, like, in a groove with writing, I can get a little bit, like... uh, a little bit into like an addictive sort of behavior around it where like I'm just ignoring everything else and just wanting to write and I feel a little bit like like buzzy and high from like just sitting down and like I'm working I'm working I'm working and then you know put the kid to bed and then I'm working I'm working I'm working and that's I when I notice myself doing that I'll take a break because I think that as as good as that can feel, I know that that's not necessarily good for me and I might feel like crap later <laughs> because of it. And it doesn't mean that it's not good to have like that excited feeling about your work. But I think that for people who have addiction in their history or who have some uh, have mental health issues like bipolar disorder, that it's good to be cognizant that you're not setting yourself up for a crash by getting too manic or um, hyper with what you're doing. I think that setting a schedule for yourself, even if you don't write during that period of time, is super helpful uh, for me, at least. If I allow myself X amount of hours to work on something, and that doesn't necessarily mean it's writing because half of writing, more than half of writing, is the thinking about it. 
and reading because that informs your writing. So I think that it's, it's about balance. It's about knowing what your limits are. And then when you're writing, especially if you're writing from a place about personal things, it's super important to have a support system in place. When I sat down to write the memoir, I got a new therapist. I made sure that I had like, because for a while I just had like a GP monitoring my medication. And I was like, no, I need to go back to having a psychiatrist monitor my medication and constantly be checking in with him because I knew that delving into like sort of like the darkest points of my life and then talking about it with thousands of people might be tough and might, you know, not trigger cravings, but trigger like depression or, you know, just that, that, that feeling of like an emotional hangover. So I think setting up those support systems, including the people around you and just being honest with like how you're feeling about it is really important. Honest with yourself about how it's making you feel. It, it, that makes sense to me. It seems to me like I know Justin has kids and it's like, I've never gotten into a tear of writing Mm -hmm. where I, keep going. You know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. it's like so painful for Mm -hmm. me just to get to my, like the point that I want to get to. Mm -hmm. Like if I say I want a half an hour, like it's hard for me to get to the half an hour. So it's like, I can't imagine six hours straight or anything or a dopey. Like we do an episode, it's like an hour and a half, whatever. And I, and I feel high from it and excited, but I don't ever have to like sacrifice my life. But it sounds to me like what you're saying is make sure that the the things in your life get tended to and you don't lose track of them like we would on drugs. A hundred percent. And I, I mean, I just think in general, I mean, for kids, for people in recovery and for anybody with mental health issues, structure is the most important thing in our lives. Because I think that I know for myself, like I start to sort of fall apart when I don't have structure in my life. And you know, it's, it's really easy to, to, to fall out of structure, especially like in the last 18 months. I mean, now, you know, hopefully we're coming out of it, but like during like the acute part of the pandemic, like it was like one long day, which is the worst feeling in the world. Right. So Justin, you hear her, you have to set structure, structure, boundaries, boundaries, and being checking in with yourself. If you're writing about things from like a personal place, even if it's fictionalized, but it's coming from like a personal place that you have support. Right. Support, structure, and boundaries. Yes. What's the next question? All right. What do you got? Let me open this up. Okay. All right. The next question says, as a mom, what are you telling your son about smoking pot? My daughters are seven and eight right now. They think smoking is the most disgusting thing. I'm clean from alcohol, but I do smoke pot on occasion. Dun, dun, dun. I try to hide the smell from them, but I hate that they will grow up knowing the smell. I'm worried that they may feel like it may be a permission slip for them. Advice? Question mark. It is a permission slip. If you're smoking weed at home and the kids smell it, isn't it a permission slip? Mm, I have mixed feelings on that because there. Are, do you think that people like who are normal drinkers and they have alcohol with dinner that they're giving a permission slip to their kids to, to drink? drink. Yes. That they're saying it is acceptable that one day you drink too. Right. Yes. Well, I, well I, yeah, one of my yeah. best friends, right. One of my yeah. best friends growing up, his mom was this crazy pothead. Mm-hmm. And, um, so when he was in high school, when we were in high school, we smoked his mom's weed, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? And he yeah, smoked yeah. Oh, his yeah. mom's weed. Right. And, um, but for him, he got out of smoking weed really fast mm-hmm. because he was like, I don't want to be like my mom. 
Oh, yeah. I've heard that from many people. Wait, can I do a little quick sidetrack? Yes. Because I'll forget otherwise. I had told you earlier that I really, I never really smoked pot. I tried it a couple times, like when I was a young teenager, but like, I don't know if I, you know, who knows how good the pot was. But one of those times, my friend and I stole pot from her dad, from his like dresser, dresser drawer. And it was laced with, we think PCP. I had the worst, it was like the worst. My legs didn't work. I was like, I, I thought I was like going to be paralyzed for the rest of my life. It was a trip and we don't know what was in it, but it kind of, I think it was PCP. Did you ever do PCP later on? No. Me neither. Mm. Chris never did it either. Isn't yeah. that interesting? Yeah. Anyway, so what do you say so, to this so, woman? Okay, so I see what you're saying. I think that... Uh, that was just my... I never no, react. I'm not a real reactor on Dopey. <laughs> I was just reacting, but continue. So, I mean, I see what you're saying about it being a permission slip. I think that, you know, look, I pot is becoming more... It's... Legal. More and more socially acceptable and legal as I think it should be. I think it's far less dangerous than alcohol. Um, I have talked to my son about weed because it's common and prevalent along, among people his age. And, and honestly, I've told him that, you know, my, my wish is that he waits until he's a little bit older so that his brain is fully formed, not because I think it's going to do brain damage, but because I think that adolescent brains are more susceptible to substances than adult brains. Um, I would rather that he was smoking pot than binge drinking. I think that people do things on alcohol that they don't do on pot. Um, I don't know of anyone who's ever died from smoking pot when it was just weed. And I think that because it's legal, most of the pot that people are smoking, they're getting, especially in states where it's legal, they're getting it from a dispensary. Which, the good stuff. I mean, but that's great because, you know, like there's there's some level of quality control and it's the same. You know, it's it's I'd much rather he was doing that than doing hard drugs for sure. And alcohol, I think, is one of the most dangerous drugs there is. Totally. And you didn't have a love affair with weed, though, right? No, no, no. Mm-mm. See, I had such a love affair mm-hmm. with weed that like that's something I make sure like I haven't gotten to that place with with Nora yet Mm -hmm. like I've told her what I say to her is you know eventually you're gonna drink and you might do drugs Mm -hmm. just know that I liked it so much that I I lost everything for it and I'm not saying that's gonna happen to you but know that it it could really happen to you and like so that's what I share and and it's like I'm not against I mean I would rather if she didn't smoke PCP and and crack and heroin and stuff (laughs) but like she needs to have her experience of her life so I'm not against her drinking or smoking pot at some point I just want her to know that like how it went and I think there's, there's actually this woman who sent me her book um, Danielle Simone, she had wrote a book called Weed Mom, and she uses you know she smokes weed and she talks very openly with her kids about it. And I think that that that's important. I think if somebody, I think if you're going to have pot in your household, and then you should be willing to talk to your kids openly about it and how how it can be used socially or safely. You know, I mean it's no different than you would about like having a talk with them about alcohol and how sex or anything. Absolutely. Right. You know, all right. What's the third question? 
the third question is, uh, please do not use my name. We won't. Uh, I just listened to your podcast and it was absolutely incredible. Dave, you were wonderful interviewing as you always are. And I'm hoping I can win a free copy of your book. You can. You will. Because I would love to read all the debaucherous tales. <laughs> My question is, what are your thoughts and feelings on MAT, medically assisted treatment, i.e. Suboxone, Vivitrol, Methadone, etc., with sobriety? This is aimed towards Aaron, as we've all heard Dave's thoughts, and it's interesting how they've changed <laughs> over the years. I'm personally on Sublocade, which is a monthly shot in the stomach of basically Suboxone. She doesn't want to hear my opinion because I say it all the time. I'm six months sober, well off pills, weed, booze, etc., and I'm very grateful that it has given me my life back and the other 29 days of the month. I feel like a completely normal person. I don't have to worry about substituting one pill for another. I don't obsess over taking my Suboxone pills to stay sober and avoid withdrawals, etc., but I know that mats are frowned upon in the NA world and abstinence is the only way to sobriety in their mind. Thank you, Dave, for keeping the podcast going and evolving. And thank you, Aaron, for your insight and giving hope to the hopeless. I love you. And rest in peace to Todd and Toodles for Chris. Mm. I am very clear that I, if, if medicated assisted treatment is working for you, that is awesome. I, you know, when I was in a 12 step program initially, when I was trying to have sustained recovery and was not succeeding, I thought that people who were on methadone were like that they weren't really sober. And I really had that like I had that hard line, too, that like the only type of recovery there was was total abstinence. And that leaves out so many people, not the least of which are people who have chronic illnesses and pain issues that does require them to legitimately take pain medication. That's none of my business. It shouldn't be anybody else's business. And, you know, the success rates with people who are in recovery through medicated assisted treatment, the success rates are so much higher, so much higher. So I then people who are going for abstinence only, there are some people who abstinence only is the right path for. And there are some people that that has not worked. And plenty of people start recovery through like a MAT program, like methadone or Suboxone, and then wean off of it. I know many, 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 many people who have done it that way. Were you ever on methadone long term? No, I was never on methadone at all. Never even kicking with methadone? No. That's Mm -mm. crazy. You did did so much heroin. I was afraid. How did you get off heroin then? Because I, well, I, buprenorphine, I had a doc do, under doctor supervision because I was pregnant. Right. Um, I, over seven days, I start, he was buprenorphine. But before that, then, when you weren't pregnant, like when you would oh, detox, how I would you detox qu- it? I fucking quit. Well, there was a doctor I would go see sometimes. Dr. D. Dr. D. And he was well known. He was a regular GP. He had plenty of regular patients, but he had people that would go in and he would give you Norco and Clonopin. Really? And not methadone? No. That's so weird. Mm-hmm. And, not, and Suboxone hadn't been it around. It hadn't been around. Like, yeah. you know, when I stopped, it was like the early days. I mean, buprenorphine was being used, which is the main ingredient in Suboxone, I believe. So that was being used to detox people, but they weren't staying on it for like a long term sort of treatment. I want to say one thing, mm-hmm. and I know Dopey Nation is bored of my opinions about things, but I'm going to say that the most important thing is tolerance in general. Like like for mm-hmm. Aaron to be tolerant of someone else's experience doesn't affect Aaron's experience. No. Or for me to be to- all of a sudden, I wasn't tolerant because every time I was on medicated assisted treatment, I did drugs. You know, like I'm tolerant now because 
if somebody's on Suboxone, it doesn't really affect me in one way or the other. I'm still doing what I'm doing. And I do abstinence mostly because it's working. You know, if it didn't work, I would do something else. A hundred percent. I mean, and that's the thing is that like, you know, I say this all the time, like your recovery is none of my business. No, nobody's recovery is any of your business. Like there's not a one size fits all solution. It's about finding what works best for you. And there's a reason, you know, when we speak about medicated assisted treatment in terms of harm reduction, it is much safer and less harmful for somebody to be on methadone and, you know, without using other drugs and taper off than it is for them to be kicking. Yeah. I mean, I, I was a crazy person that I would go on vacation to kick all the time, which I can't tell you how many times I've kicked cold turkey or just with like a few pills. And it was awful. So I don't know why I did that to myself over and over. And on fan, like I did that, like going on vacation with like my dad and stepmom, you know, and trying to act like, Oh, here I am like on this family vacation and so sick. Now, do you think it was early on that you thought you could do it? Like I used to do stuff like that too. I used to think that like I could wean on a business trip and then like, or, or maybe that I would just survive with what I had or. Yeah, no, I thought this was like well into like the end of my using up until, you know, I got pregnant and did it with a doctor. I always had this brilliant idea because there was something about it where like, because I was forced to try and pretend that I wasn't detoxing, it it made it a little bit easier because I was like, not sitting in a room I was out like oh I'm walking around the south of France like sweating and like that's saying hysterical. that I have the flu <laughs> that's what Todd, Todd would do stuff like that all the time my weird thing that always informed my kicking was train spotting like you know how he's like he's like setting up his kick yeah and he's like I have a thing oh, of yeah. vanilla ice cream a thing of chocolate Gate, ice cream Gatorade Valium <laughs> right you know and I and I would I mean for if I I couldn't, I, in the end, I learned that I couldn't kick at home. Like mm-hmm. I just, I just couldn't kick at home, but I would get everything I could possibly get. I'd get right. like a quarter ounce of bud and I'd get as many clonopins as I can get, as many Xanax I can right. get, ice cream, cake, all that shit. And like in a day, I'd just be out. See, like I never, I never tried to do it with like any other sort of like, like weed or anything to, to get off of it. But I was really good at kicking. I could kick and stay off of it for like a few weeks. That's amazing. A few months. I could not. My mic cut out. No, it didn't. Oh, maybe my headphones cut out. <laughs> oh, no, they're back. Okay. <laughs> I was like, that was so weird. Uh, yeah, I, I was amazing at kicking. I just couldn't, st- like, I could get off drugs. I just couldn't stay off drugs. I couldn't get too well. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I couldn't possibly. Mm-hmm. And then maybe I'd get to, like, a day of well, mm-hmm. and the well was okay enough that I'd be like, okay, I'm going to go cop now. <laughs> that And that would be the end of the of the kick. Is that, that's our last Ask Aaron question yeah, for now? Yeah. All right, so that's three up now. Dopey Nation, I know you want an, uh, a strung out book, and Aaron will sign it for you. I will. Send in an Ask Aaron, and when we have Aaron on again, we'll ask her three more questions. And it doesn't have to be about drugs. It can be about... I mean, I get asked crazy questions. It can be about anything. What's the craziest question you've ever been asked? Okay. Well, the cra- the one that went the most viral where it was like literally like in every <laughs> like tabloidy kind of newspaper around the world and people were talking about it on other like podcasts and stuff. I had a woman write in because her daughter was having an affair with her husband Ugh. who was this, you know, the girl's stepfather, adult daughter. That question, and what's crazy is that after that question ran, I've had seven more like it. 
Well, especially in this age of a lot of stepdad porn. Oh, God. Terrible. (laughs) All right, Dopey Nation, if any of you are fucking your stepfather, please send in the question, (laughs) because then maybe our, our little thing can go viral. And Aaron was amazed. Why are there cops constantly? You hear the siren? Yeah. It's like it's only it's, been no, siren. It's because it's the UN General Assembly this week. Wow. And Biden is here. He's going to the UN to talk right now. Thank God. I hope he's getting something done over there. <laughs> but um, what was I going to say? Fuck. I was going to say something super. Oh, yeah. Send in fucked up questions yes. and our shit can go viral. And then the thing I was going to say was Aaron couldn't believe how many people followed her after her thing. And reached out to me. I've heard from so many people and it's been lovely and I, it's great. I love connecting with people. So, And it makes me, as a, as a, as a Jewish person, it makes me quell to hear about the Dopey Nation <laughs> reaching out to Aaron. Like, I like that. That's cool. So thank you for coming on again. Of course. Anytime. And, and send in shit. Follow us on Instagram and all that shit. Buy merch. Buy, I never say that at the end. Yeah. Buy merch. And yeah. more importantly, join Patreon because like I'm close to quitting my fucking job. Yes. I can't take it anymore. So go on Patreon, buy merch, buy Aaron's book, send in a fucking question to ask Aaron, write us an email, send in a dopey story to dopeypodcast at gmail.com. Thank you for coming. Stay strong, Dopey Nation, and fucking toodles for Chris. Toodles. I want to take a walk around the world. I wonder would it do me any good. Until I get some money in my pocket, then I guess I'll just have to walk around my neighborhood. But I want to be good so bad. Wanna be so good, so bad, so bad. I wanna be good, so bad. Bad desires, all I ever had. And I wanna take a ride up in the sky. Watch this airplane just pass me by. And I wanna see a Lear jetliner take a dive. Just to show all of these people what it means to be alive. But I wanna be good so bad wanna be so good so bad so bad i wanna be good so bad bad desires all i ever had and my shadows getting smaller smaller and it's time to where i stand shadows getting smaller and smaller City far behind. I'll take the high road, however far it winds, because peace and love are very, very, very hard to find. And I wanna be good so bad. Wanna be good so bad, so bad. I wanna be good so bad. Bad desires, all I ever had. Damn it, all these suckers make me mad And it's all I ever had And it's all I ever had And these suckers make me mad And I want to call my dad And it's all I ever had 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 And these suckers make me mad And it's all I ever had And I want to call my dad And it's all I ever had And it's all I ever had And it's all I ever had